0: Good morning. Continue in Exodus. Uh, there's a radical uh, difference in what what uh, what Sundays look like in Michigan, right? Last Sunday we couldn't meet because we were under uh, under feet of ice, and uh, this sunny day it's it's sunny. So uh, I think that's a sign that God is very good that it's that it's sunny. I did look into the forecast. Don't check out next Friday though. Um, So let me read to you from Exodus chapter 16, and then we'll dive in together. Exodus chapter 16. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. When we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make the whole assembly die of hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we for who are we that you complain about us? Moses continued, "The Lord will give you meat to eat this evening, and all the bread you want in the morning. For he has heard the complaints that you are raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord." Then the Mo- then Moses said to Aaron, "Say to the entire entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints." As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned towards the wilderness. And there in the cloud, the Lord's glory appeared. The Lord spoke to Moses. I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as the frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual, according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and when the person who gathered a a little had no shortage, each gathered as much as they needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning, but they did not listen to Moses. Some of the people left until morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. Therefore Moses was angry with them. They gathered every evening. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece. And all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the day of complete rest, the holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and set aside everything left over to keep until morning. So they set it aside till morning as Moses had commanded. And it didn't stink or have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath of the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you will gather, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will be none. Yet on the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, uh, but they did not find any. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you a Sabbath. Therefore on the sixth day he will give you two days worth of bread. Each of you stay where you are, no one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named the the the, uh, the house of Israel. Named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed. It was white. And it tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Two quarts of it you are to, are to be preserved throughout generations. So that you may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses told Aaron, take, take the container and put two quarts of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be preserved throughout generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the borderland of Canaan. They used a measure called an omer, which held two courts. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next, according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me, Moses replied. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted uh, there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you ever bring us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? In a little while they will stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go ahead of the people and take some of the elders with, of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you at the rock of Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Merib because the Israelites complained and because they were to the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So long passage, uh, long passage, long, long kind of story. It's one of my um, my my favorite passages in this sense. In this sense, I was at one point a teenager, and after I was a teenager, at some point I was a youth pastor, and now I I have teenage children, and I've always felt that this passage exemplifies so much of what it looks like to live with teenagers in your home or in your life. Here's what happens: God, in His goodness. God in his goodness takes care of the children of Israel. He takes them out of slavery leads them in, in, into, uh, 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 across the Red Sea on, on dry land. He keeps them from being oppressed. Remember, they've been oppressed for years and years and years and years by, by the Pharaoh. He keeps them from being oppressed. He keeps them from, from, from having to work back-breaking work each day. He keeps them from all of this, takes them out of that land of oppression, brings them into freedom, allows them to cross the Red Sea on, on dry land, brings them out, provides for them, does all of that... And the response of the Israelite is to say man we're really hungry. When are we going to eat? Now there's, there's two things here. I mean, one, the specific request is very teenager uh, I hear this all the time from, from my children. When are we going to eat? Or alternatively, what are we going to eat? What are we eating? What are we having for dinner? What's for dinner? It's also just even in, not in the specific request, it is in my mind very teenagery. And, and by extension, by the way, in this example, I will soon make clear that we're all teenagers, right? But it is very teenager, I think, to be set free from something, to be given something, to, to be gifted something wonderful. And your response to that, that gifting is, is to complain. So... The Israelite, it's in this case, the entire Israelite community departs from Elam, comes to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left Egypt. So they've been in oppression for years. They, 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 they've, they've been slaves for, for years. They've watched how Pharaoh has mistreated them for years and years and years and years and years. Generations, really. Uh, they're, they're set free. And on the 15th day of the second month, right? so a month and a half, after they're set free, a month and a half after they're out of oppression, a month and a half after seeing God work in that mighty way, the entire Israelite community grumbles against Moses and Aaron. Uh, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died uh, by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted it is very much uh, and you may hear it however you want I hear it very much in, in, in sort of in sort of an eternal teenage voice it is very much a month and a half after being set free from from a maniacal madman who wanted to oppress you make you work work day after day after day after day after day back breaking slavery to be set free set into 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 freedom to be a month and a half into your freedom and begin to grumble because the food's not good, right? And so we do have this problem in our house from, from time to time. We have this, this, this debate. It is an eternal debate in, 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 the, in the Drake home. I like food. That is not shocking to any of you, right? I mean, just visually speaking, that has to be a fact. This is not a pituitary problem, right? I like food, I like, I like food. I like specific foods. I don't like uh, specific foods. We've been through that uh, a million times. You all know which side of that that I'm on. But sometimes I, being, uh, being the lead teenager of the home, uh, in the same way, I say, what are we having to eat? Or I'll get a call from, uh, from Libby and say, uh, we're in a hurry. Uh, we don't have much time. The boys have a game. What if we just do something simple like sandwiches? Now, there's two words I don't really care for in relationship to my dinner. It's simple and sandwiches. Uh, the reason I don't care for them is because simple is 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 is, is simple, uh, and, and secondly, sandwiches are a lunch food, right? And so, by the way, uh, my i am aware of that. My dogmatism about food. Is indeed dogmatism based only in my own emotional uh, world, not in facts. But we're going to play on my dogmatism this morning uh, to to make the point that I'm like uh, sandwiches. Like, what kind of sandwich? What are we talking when we say sandwich? Are we talking peanut butter? Because uh, like, I like peanut butter and jelly, but I eat that more as a dessert after I've eaten other food. It's sweet. Uh, do you mean sandwich where we take like two pieces of bread and put a little piece of meat in front of it? That's fine. Uh, sometimes. Uh, sometimes I could pack a lunch that has a sandwich, bring it with me here to to work, and and if no one gives me a better offer about going out to eat, I might eat that. Uh, But what's that? And so so I have a tendency to go, well, what about that? And then Libby will say, fine, well, what do you want? And then um, that's a dangerous question, by the way. Uh, I don't always like to answer that directly because I feel like my suggestions are not always appreciated on the level... uh, or in the spirit in which they're given, right? So what do you want? Uh, all I want, guys, is something delicious, right? For every meal, right? Because some people, like, there's someone out there, uh, there who's skinny thinking, well, meals are utilitarian. I do not have that in me, right? Whatever, whoever you are as a person, and I appreciate you, and I'm like, that is great, and I bet you it's a lot easier for you to stay skinny. If you view a meal as utilitarian, we eat to live, I eat to live, right? And that's a different pronunciation, right? Some people eat to live. I eat to live, right? That's the difference between between living and living La Vida Loca. And I am in the second group, right? I like to live, and so so I like food. And we've talked about this this before. Um, Dave... Uh, pastor Dave Block, the, pa- uh, uh, the neighborhood pastor at Godfrey Lee Congregation, made this uh, made the, the, this point. Once he was talking about uh, the, the 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 food of, of his, his background of, of his west uh, his west Michigan kind of church background, and he was like he was saying he's like you know how like in the African American community they have soul food and they put soul and time into. It. He's like I think the food of like my family background should be called unsoul food like. It's just, it's like, it's simple, it's boring, And I, I make all of that to say, again, I said it was the lead teenager. My point is, is that I want to mock these people for grumbling about food. On the other hand, I understand that these people are grumbling about food because uh, when I'm not trying to be a good parent telling my kids to stop grumbling about food, I can sometimes grumble about the food too, go, mm, really, is this, right? And you put so much into it. Here, here they are, right? And... But it's an interesting thing because the reality is is, is that I I have been set free and I've been set free spiritually. I did not come directly out of slavery a month and a half ago and complain about food. And so in my heart, I'd like to lie to myself and tell myself I would not be this person. But it is, I think, the reason Scripture is given to us because of this is that it's telling us the story of how a people acted to make the point that this is how all people act, right? And I'm making a point, I'm I'm saying it's teenagers because I have teenagers because I was a youth pastor, because I interact with them, because I know myself. There's this reality that people are prone to grumbling, right? What a great word, by the way. Grumble, it just rolls off the tongue, right? And so it's a great word for a horrible thing. But they grumbled, right? So they, they didn't just They weren't like, hey, Moses, we'd like to talk to you about a situation. We feel like maybe, no, they grumbled. They get all grumbly. And there's all kinds of stuff in there. And I want you to catch catch that they start to grumble against Moses and they grumble against Aaron. And then the Israelites said to them, which is, again, I feel like one of the most teenager things ever said. They said, If only we had died in the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. If you want to hear a teenager say something like that, take away their phone. Go ahead, take away their phone and watch immediately how quickly a teenager will will begin to question their will to live. Why even exist? I had a cell phone, but you, oh parents, took it away from me. Why? Why? Should I even go on? There's something going on on Snapchat right now, and I don't know what it is. Oh, life is so hard, right? So that's what they start to do. They're like, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. Remember, they were begging to be set free. They're begging, please set us free. Set us free from this oppression. They were, they were, they were slaves in the land. They've been set free. The food's not good in the wilderness. And they start to complain. We sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness and we know why you did it, Moses. You wanted to make this whole assembly die of hunger. (laughs) You're trying to kill us, Moses. Why? Now, Here's the fun part about this, right? There's the teenage, the teenage behavior, and I think, by the way, again, anytime you, a villain crops up in our messages here at Crosswinds, if we're talking about a villain, I'm not talking about a villain so that you can be thinking about the person three over from you, okay? Like, oh, we're talking about a villain, and you're going, oh, yeah, I know. It's him over there in the blue, right? Right? No, it's the girl who wore the pink. That's who he said. If we're talking about a villain, I want you to hear yourself as the villain in the story. So from now on, if I say teenager, I'm talking about you. It's just shorthand, okay? Now, if I would think then that after they act like teenagers, they say, oh, we, had been, we ate all the bread we wanted. You're trying to kill us with hunger, Moses. You would think that God's response would have been similar to what my, my response is when my children do this, is, is to respond to them in, in, in kind. We live in i um, uh, I'll just be honest about, about Drake's, I have this friend, her name's Venice, we call her V. Uh, v once gave us this, this saying, and she said, sarcasm is scarcasm, right? <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, V, that's deep, uh, that's powerful. But in the Drake family, sarcasm is sort of our love language, right? If I'm not occasionally sarcastic with you, I don't love you. Uh, it's because that's how how we talk. That's how we interact. Those who have known me for the longest would would, would immediately understand this. That 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 there's a little bit of a sarcastic uh, uh, edge. Uh, I'm thinking probably uh, you know my 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 family knows this. People who went to school with me know. My kids know. So we're a little bit sarcastic occasionally. We sort of like that that humor. Uh, uh, and so. Uh, with all deference to Venice, who said sarcasm is scarcasm. Is, is, is and our family is just kind of a love language, which, like, we tease, uh, we enjoy it. And, and so if my kids came to me and said, Dad, you're trying to kill us with hunger, I guarantee you I don't, I don't have a response. I haven't thought of one right now. But in a moment, I guarantee you I would give a response. And that would be comedy gold because that's how we roll right? Like in our family, like if you're going to bring it to dad and say, oh, dad, you're trying to kill me with the food, then dad is going to roast you and it's going to be on. It's going to be like, like, like a deaf comedy roast, and then we're all going to enjoy it, and we're going to chuckle together, uh, and then we're going to eat whatever we eat. We eat. That's what would have happened in my family. God, in his goodness, is, is, is God and not me, and I think we can all agree that that is an excellent, wonderful, and amazing thing. Again, it's good not that he's just not me, but he's not you either. God does not respond to the people with, with sarcasm. God does not roast them, though I feel like God could have, and there are places in Scripture that I enjoy. Where God does roast his enemies, right? Where God uses a little sarcasm with his enemies. And they're great moments of scripture. But in this case, he doesn't. God's response to them is, then the Lord says to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way, I will test to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, and then he gives them the, the instructions. But what I want you to catch here is that God hears their grumbling. And instead of responding to the to, to their grumbling like we would probably want to respond to grumbling, right? And uh, and I mean, we might let's take this a, a, a step further because I feel like we can deal with our own children's grumbling, right? You deal with your own children's grumbling because you you love them uh, and because they you know uh, you, you've raised them. You deal with your own children's grumbling, but here's. Here, I would like you to imagine that you're babysitting and it's somebody else's child grumbling, right? I don't know if you all babysit, but occasionally you, most of us have watched kids and you have your own kids and you put up with them, right? But let's say the neighbor brings their kid down and goes, hey, can you watch my kid? And it never fails. Everybody everybody in every neighborhood has has. A neighbor who has a kid they want to bring over and that kid's grumbly. It happens in every neighborhood. And if you don't have that, it's probably because your kid's the grumbly kid and some other pastor's talking about him in some other church this morning, right? So so imagine that they're there and, and that kid just keeps grumbling and grumbling. I mean, my point is simply to say this is that grumbling it can wear on us. It can wear on us. I mean, it's it's. Imagine that you have taken your children and some of his friends uh, to to a birthday party at, at Chuck E. Cheese, uh, and and you've got them the the the, uh, the 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 buffet, and and you've got them the 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 different things, and you've got everything enjoyable in the party, and everybody's excited, and and everybody has a great time, and you leave, and you ask if everybody enjoys it, and there's just that one kid who. He was like, uh, it was okay, but I wanted to do whatever one more time. You had to leave before they could do whatever. And they mumble and they grumble and they come against you. That is frustrating in a human sense. But it's interesting because we're fellow mumblers, right? That's, that's mumble on mumble crime right? That kid's mumbling at you, but at some point you'll be mumbling to somebody else. That's who you are and who we are. Imagine then that the great God of the universe, here after setting his children free, after after providing for them, after establishing that his character is good, that his character is great, that he is right and wonderful. Imagine then that the people begin to grumble against that God. I feel like God would have a right to respond in any way he wants to. In fact, I, I know and affirm that God would have a right to respond in any way he wants to. If you grumble at the God of the universe after he has set you free from slavery, you, you deserve what you get. Except for in this passage, what the Israelites get is not what they deserve. Because God's response is not not to smite them, not to mock them, not to go after them. God doesn't do any of that. What does God do? He says, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. He gives them instructions. So God's response to the grumbling of the people is he feeds them. And he gives them instructions, says, do this do the, these things, carry out these instructions. I want you to carry out the, these instructions. They go ahead and they take the bread and they're eating the bread. They ignore the instructions. So at one point they have, they have maggots and worms in there. He tells them, I want you to collect it on these days. Don't collect it on that day. Somehow some of the people missed the instructions right? They weren't listening when Moses spoke the words of God that said, six days gather, gather enough on the sixth day because there's not going to be anything on the seventh. They still go out there and they're looking around. They're going, where's the manna? Where, where is it? They're looking. It's not there, right? And it's still God in his, his, his goodness, he provides not only manna, he provides quail for them. He provides meat for them. He, he, he gives them food, and their response to it is to ignore the instructions, ignore what he says, eat it, and then continue to complain. Even after they're all filled up, when they have the manner to eat, it's it's enough. Right? It, 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 what he gives them is sufficient. If they go out and grab a bunch and they go to fill it, it fills the two quarts and it's what they need. And if they go out and they they don't they don't grab Enough. When they go to fill it, they fill it, and it fills the two courts. In other words, what God gives them is completely and fully sufficient for them. And they continue to basically ignore him, not follow what he says, ignore the instructions. And then in chapter seventeen, now now that they've got now that they've got their um, their their bread and their meat. They start to grumble for something else. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness to sin, moving from one place to the next, according to the Lord's command. They camped at Refin, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, give us water to drink. And he says, why are you complaining to me? Are you trying to test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children in livestock with thirst? Why are you out to get us, God? Right? This is your fault, God. It's your fault that you brought us out of slavery. It's your fault that that, that you're leading us. It's your fault that you provided for us with the the meat and, and the bread. But now that's made us really thirsty, God. And this is your fault. Are you trying to kill us? It is an interesting thing to consider that the people who are continually and regularly provided for, the whole history of their nation is a history of the provision of God that the people with the history of the provision of God would then turn around and make accusations against that very same God. Who are you, God? What are you trying to do? Are you trying to kill us with hunger? Then he, he feeds them. Now are you, trying to, are you trying to kill us with thirst? It is an interesting thing to watch a people turn around, look directly into the face of the one who has rescued them and make accusations to the rescuer. And yet... That is not just something that they did. That is not just something that teenagers do. That is, I am convinced, something that is endemic to the human heart, and it is something that you and I regularly. And if you are growing in grace to the point where you do it less and less, I say that is amazing. And that is, a, that, is, that is a blessing to you. But if I am honest with myself, I know that when I read about a grumbler in Scripture, I may be reading about a grumbler from the, from the children of Israel in the Exodus, but it is talking about me Do I not also grumble against God? Do I not also look into the gifts that he has given to me and say, Yeah, God, but what about this? The problem here, the heart of the problem is this, is that God in his provision is revealing himself to be a good father. They don't know that and won't speak that language for a while. In fact, we get into the New Testament, and Jesus is the first one to apply the term Abba. Abba, Father, to, to, to personalize and say that God's a father. They're just kind of getting introduced. Remember, uh, remember that God has just revealed his name earlier in the book to Moses. I am. I'm the God who is there. He's revealing. Now he's revealed his character in provision for them, again and again and again, and yet each time he reveals more and more of themselves, their response is, is they may worship for a moment who God shows himself to be, but they will turn against the God who has rescued them shortly after, and start to lob accusations. God, why didn't you do this? Yahweh, why didn't you do this? And so, here is my suggestion, is that this Appears where it does immediately after the story of how God sets them free, immediately after the story about how God makes it so that they can cross the Red Sea on dry land, immediately after God brings them out of slavery, a month and a half later, they are complaining. Let it then be a reminder to us that if they were set free from the slavery to Pharaoh and complained, maybe it is written in Scripture to remind us that the Exodus, the the story of the children of Israel being Set free from the Pharaoh from their slavery in the land was a pretelling or a foretelling of the story of us being set free from our slavery to sin through the person of Jesus. And that the Exodus is a pretelling or a prefiguring of this reality that Christ was going to come and set all people free, not just from their slavery to an oppressive overlord in a land but set free from from the overlord of sin so that not that they might be physically safe in, in, in walk across the, the the red sea on dry land but so that we might be eternally safe and eternally rescued walk away from from sin uh, uh, through the dry land or through the salvation of the cross and the work of Jesus the story of the exodus exists because god is beforehand telling the story of what he intends to do through the person of jesus Jesus, and just as God set the Israelites free from slavery to Pharaoh, so Jesus has come to be the new exodus, the true exodus, the final exodus, to set us free from slavery to sin. Now, the Israelites, having been set free from slavery to Pharaoh, begin to grumble. My question is, we, having been set free from sin, how do we respond? Do we also grumble? And my worry and my conviction is that we do. And the problem with the grumbling, the problem with their grumbling, and the problem with our grumbling is it does two things. One is that it it, it distrusts the very character of the God who had rescued them. They are discounting his character. We'll come back to that. And two, it, it discounts the power of the salvation that has been provided for them. They don't understand or appreciate what has been done for them. So first off, it discounts the character that we have said from the beginning. The point of Exodus is essentially this. God is God. God is good. God does what he wants and what he wants is always consistent with his character. And like we said at the beginning, his character is good. So... When they grumble against God, they are, they, are, they, are, they are essentially, in their grumbling, preaching a false message about who God is, or they're, they're expressing their belief system. And so sometimes, sometimes, uh, or a lot of the time, we will be in life, and people will know that we are, are Christians. I heard someone say once that they had a uh, that they saw a honk if you love Jesus sticker on their car, and they said they wouldn't get a honk if you love Jesus sticker on their car because they felt like if they had a honk if you love Jesus sticker on their car, they would have to drive better. And they didn't want to associate their driving with, with Jesus. They didn't want anyone to look at them and go, man, the way that guy drives, that, could, that dude can't love Jesus. And so they were afraid of communicating something false about Jesus through, through their driving. Here's my worry. My worry is this, is that we claim Jesus, and yet if we are grumblers, if we are complainers, if we are people who say, oh God, I know that you set me free from sin, I know that you love me, but why did you do this? My worry is that in our grumbling against the living God, what we do is we begin to preach a false message about who God is and what his character is. That's what the Israelites were doing. They were questioning the character of God. It is in our time, and our lives, as those of us called to be emissaries, those of us called to be missionaries, and that's all of you who know Jesus, those of us called to be representatives of Jesus in the world, you need to understand that your grumbling... Your, your your talk is contradicting what you say you believe if you say you believe this book. If you believe that Jesus is God, if you believe that Jesus is King, if you believe that Jesus is Savior, you believe that Jesus is the true Exodus, right? That he has gone to the cross and with his own blood shed at the cross made it possible for you to leave your sin and to be in a relationship with God. If you believe that Jesus is salvation, and yet, you having been saved, grumble, you are contradicting what you have said that you believed. You are not living in a way that says that you believe. And so this is an offense to the character of God. I was thinking about this the, the other day. We have a dog. His name is Pete. Uh, his name's actually Peter Barker, the amazing spider dog. Pete is, a, uh, Pete is a smart dog, but he's neurotic, right? Pete has... Um, certain mental issues that can be bothersome at times. Uh, uh, We won't get into all of them. But the one that's interesting to me is that Pete comes to the back door and I call and say, Pete, come. And Pete will run. He barking to come in. Pete runs up to the back door and then he stops. And then he does a little pitter-patter thing with his feet like this. Like he's running in place. Like he's afraid to come in. And so I'm like... The thing about Pete is Pete will not come into the house without a second invitation. And I'm like, what do you need a second invitation for? I've said, come in. I've stood back. I've opened the door, and he just pitter-patters and looks at me. And it drives me insane. And then I'm like, Pete, come. And he comes in, and he ducks, and he bows, and he like slithers by me. The insinuation in Pete's behavior, and I'm not a dog psychologist. I'm just playing one in this message. But the, 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 the problem with Pete's behavior is what it suggests to me is Pete believes that as he runs by me, he has to duck, or I'm going to kick him. I'd like to point out that I've never kicked Pete. Never hit Pete, never kicked Pete. When he slithers by me, sometimes I'm tempted. I'm like, you're saying I'm going to kick you, you're going to get it, Pete, it's on. Right? Because it bothers me, because what Pete is doing is suggesting, what if there were company? The company's there, they see, I call him in, and here comes Pete, he slithers in, and they're like, oh, that dude must hit his dog. I don't hit my dog. Pete's insane. Why does Pete do that? And it offends me because Pete is questioning my character. And it's offensive to me that Pete questions my character because I've never hit the dog. Been kind to the dog. Sometimes I tell the dog that no one likes him. I'll be honest with it. I just feel like that. But I feel like Pete doesn't speak English, right? And I only do that when he laid on my bed and got sand on it. and He's not supposed to be in my bed. It was the whole thing. But I feel like, I feel like Pete has questioned my character. How much more, when we grumble against the living God, is it a questioning of a character of a God who has always and only been good to us? Right? He's been good to us. Right? On every level, I always think of this. this uh, one time uh, when, when Tom and I were both at Westwood, we did a, we did a Seder. In part of the seder, they do, do a, they do a little a song. Same thing. It's called Dayenu. Dayenu means it would have been enough, right? And it starts and it said, "If you would only." If you would only set us free, dienu. If you would only fed us, dienu. If you'd only done this, And everything that God had done all throughout the history of scripture, if he'd only done one of those things, he's not obligated to do anything. It's dienu. It would have been enough. But we live in light of the cross. When Jesus has been put on the cross, gone to to death, died on our behalf, walked out of the grave and set us free from sin, it's the ultimate dienu. Not only would have it been enough, it's the only thing that is enough. There's nothing more than that. Everything flows from it. Jesus has rescued us. He's set us free. He's called us. He's loved us. He's cared for us. He's gifted us. You're sitting here breathing. And if you know him, it's Dayenu. And not only is it Dianu, it's not, not, is it enough? There's nothing more. There's nothing beyond. There's nothing greater. There's nothing more amazing. And so my question is, who are the Israelites to question the character of a God who's only been good to them? And then by extension, if the Israelites only having received, in this case of the the narrative, having only received being set free uh, from slavery to the land of Egypt. To the Pharaoh in Egypt, if they are grumbling against a God who has set them free from Egypt and they should not be, how much more are we questioning the character of God when He set us free from sin? Who are we? It's interesting because. It actually says that in a couple places, like, who are we? Who are we? And I think in this case, Moses is, is saying, like, who are we? Why are you questioning us? God did what he wanted. But I think there's another way to say it like this, is, who are we? Who are we? To look at the character, to look at the gifts, to look at, look at everything that a good God has given, and to grumble, and to ignore Here's my, my point this morning, guys, is that that the Exodus was a physical telling, a, a, a physical, what I would call almost a physical prophecy. Then in the Exodus, God was telling the story of the way he would work in history. And so when God sets, the, sets his children free from, from the land of Egypt, he reveals in his character that he's a saving God. He reveals in his character that he's a God that does not want his children to be left in slavery. He reveals in his character that he's a God who makes a supernatural way for his children. He he, he reveals that he's a God who who is is about to give us freedom. He reveals, as we've been saying from the beginning, that he is a God who is good. He reveals all of that in the the exodus, but the exodus prefigures, and the exodus takes on more meaning, and maybe the exodus all of the meaning is filled up in this reality, that that there is coming a time in history when God is not just going to set us free from the earthly powers of the Pharaoh, but he is sending his son to set us free from all the powers in the universe that would set themselves up as enemies of what he has made us for and called us to. And so God in the Exodus sets them free and brings them across on dry land. God in Jesus Christ sets us free from sin and brings us to to him on the dry land of the work of his own cross. He has set us free. And so the question for them is they having been set from the free from the Pharaoh, they having been released from slavery, grumbled, and it questioned the character of a good God who had set them free. And yet what I want you to hear is this, and we don't always hear this correctly because we have lived with significant uh, physical and political freedom, but I want you to hear this, that to be set free from slavery to Pharaoh is a lesser miracle and a lesser act than to be set free from sin in the man, Jesus Christ. And so if they grumbled, we sometimes think, well, they actually walked across the sea on dry land. Yes, and the living God overcame hell on your behalf at the cost of his own blood. Slavery in the land of Egypt is one thing. Slavery to sin is eternal death, and Jesus overcame that. To be set free from Pharaoh is one thing. To be set free from sin is the greatest work that God has ever performed. So then... All I'm saying to you is this, is that as they grumbled against God, I would ask you this, do you grumble against God who has set you free? They grumbled, feed us, feed us. They grumbled, give us more. And they sinned when they grumbled. You, if you know Jesus, have been set free from far more than they have been set free from. And my question is, in your behavior, in your talk, in your approach, in in your listening, in your interactions with, with your Savior, Jesus Christ, are you living in a way that contradicts what you say you believe about his character? Are you grumbling against the living God? It ought not be. Pray with me.